Hey, this is Lisa Landry. You're listening to PF's Tip Recorder. This is my tape reporter. Coming up, after being diagnosed with cancer a few years back, comedian Steve Maison mounted an earnest quest to be on The Late Show with David Letterman. They wrote back a letter saying, uh, you will not be on the show. In the letter it said, the word impossible. But Steve didn't give up that easily. We'll hear more from Steve in just a few minutes. Uh, also coming up, Victoria Jackson may be this generation's Andy Kaufman. And Jim Rome discusses the Scarlett Johansson picture scandal. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. GOP presidential hopeful Herman Cain said he was falsely accused of sexual harassment while head of the National Restaurant Association and did not know anything about a financial settlement between the trade group and his accusers. Until all of a sudden, he did. A frustrated Cain said, if you give someone hush money, they should hush. The Occupy Wall Street movement spread on Monday, October 31st, as thousands of children fed up with the snack treats they had in their own homes took to the streets demanding candy from their neighbors. Many wore disguises and threatened to play tricks on those that did not give in to their demands for treats. After about two hours, though, the crowds peacefully dispersed. Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys have separated after just 72 days of marriage. Representatives for both said that the wedding was not a publicity stunt and that neither made any money from the abbreviated marriage. And what they meant is they didn't make any money like movie studios don't make any money on blockbuster films. I guess uh, they didn't get the back end of that deal. A chart released last week by the Office of Management and Budget shows the extent of income inequality in America in the past 30 years. The top 1% saw incomes skyrocket, while the so-called 99% saw a minute growth rate or saw wages remain flat. Said Bill O'Reilly of Fox News, 99% of Americans are lazy non-job creators. Bank of America said yesterday that it would not charge debit card users $5 per month four weeks after the firm's announcement of the fees sparked a backlash from customers and lawmakers. The lender, which followed J.P. Morgan Chase Company and Wells Fargo and Company in dropping plans for such charges, also won't insert debit card fees into checking accounts introduced next year, said Ann Pace, a Bank of America spokeswoman. Ms. Pace then added, this isn't over. Actress and singer Zooey Deschanel, the star of Fox TV's New Girl, has separated from her husband of two years, the lead singer of the band Death Cab for a Cutie and the Postal Service, Ben Gibbard. Both say the split is amicable. Deschanel seems to be holding up well as her new sitcom New Girl has been picked up for the rest of the TV season. Meanwhile, friends report that Gibbard seems a bit melancholy, in other words, perfectly normal. Justin Bieber's legal team is denying allegations that he fathered a child with a fan. Radar Online first reported the claims from a California woman, which Radar based on an upcoming story in Star Magazine. A day after the allegations surfaced, actor Michael Bennett claimed he was the baby daddy. He's the uh, nerdy ventriloquist guy on the Nick sitcom Victorious. Ask your kids. And that's been Fake News with me. Well, last week uh, I did a what I thought was a fairly hilarious bit about the Occupy Wall Street movement uh, here in Cincinnati, uh, the Occupy Cincinnati movement, and uh, I also mentioned that a, a local AM talk show radio host went down to the protest and almost interacted with the protesters. Well, what if I bump into one of them and one of their 
their drug needle stabs me from their pocket. And that was uh, talk show host Doc Thompson, who I mistakenly kept referring to as Scott Thompson. And in my defense, uh, as I had said at the beginning of the bit, uh, a lot of the uh, hosts on WLW are, are pretty uh, interchangeable. I'm white. I'm a Republican. Uh, that's actually uh, Mark Amazon, who's on uh, at night. No, I mixed up uh, Doc Thompson and Scott Sloan. Oddly, Scott Sloan, I went to uh, Bowling Green with. He worked at the AM radio station, and I worked at the uh, FM radio station. And uh, Doc Thompson just came from someplace else. Uh, actually, he's from. he grew up not far from where I grew up. He grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio. I grew up in Mentor, Ohio. So in my head, I just mixed the two of them together, which I guess illustrates uh, why Doc Thompson has an actual radio show on a major radio station in this country, actually two, and I'm a guy sitting in front of my computer. So... Um, but then again, you can see how I could con confuse all those guys in, in my head. All right, moving right along, uh, you know, certain things fascinate me in this world. Just goofy things. Uh, D.B. Cooper I'm interested in, and we're coming up on, uh, I think, the 30th anniversary of that, 40th anniversary of that. Uh, UFOs uh, interest me. I don't think that they're from other planets. I just think that they're natural phenomenon or experimental aircraft, but I like the mystery around it. Uh, ghost malls interest me. That's another strange one. But uh, a new one kind of has, has caught my interest. And, uh, well, I was watching the uh, Tea Party protests a couple of uh, years ago, and I believe it was uh, Chase Whitehead again, the, the fellow who went around interviewing people, and they showed a montage of all the stuff that was going on, and uh, amongst the montage, I heard this. I bite my lip a lot and fidget with the buttons on my blouse. Why? Because there's a communist living in the White House. And I was like, hey, I recognize her. That's Victoria Jackson. That's really funny. And then I realized after doing a little more research, oh, no, she's actually serious. Take a side that he's a communist, Muslim, <laughs> you know, racist. That's Ms. Jackson uh, talking about our president. And, uh, oh, wait, there's more. I was at the first tea party in L.A. I thought there's only two people coming since it's all liberal there. And I thought I might get shot at because I've never been to a protest before. Well, I can kind of understand uh, that fear, you know, because, uh, well, listen to this. It's a nice ladies' gun. What makes New Hampshire one of, the, one of our freedoms here is to be able to carry over so... That was from a Tea Party protest uh, in New Hampshire, and that lady pointing out that they're the ones that have the guns! So, of course, Victoria Jackson would be afraid of getting shot because everyone around her's got a gun! So, anyway, um, so I've been watching this with interest, and I'm thinking, this has got to be a shtick. And I'm thinking, and even though I did a little more research, and it turns out um, Victoria Jackson was raised in a Christian family in Miami and went to uh, a Christian college and everything like that. But that doesn't make her nuts. I mean, there's a lot of funny Christian people out there. And, you know, humor is one of his gifts. No? So I'm thinking this has got to be a shtick. I mean, she's going to make Andy Kaufman look like Gallagher. Uh, so here, I, I thought I'd play some of the uh, wacky stuff she said. And I think maybe kind of like uh, they do on The Daily Show, we'll add um, the audience laughing. Although the audience on The Daily Show is actually laughing at the stuff going on. But I'm going to kind of, you know... If this were a Daily Show bit, in other words, uh, well, you'll, you'll see what I mean here. I bite my lip a lot and fidget with the buttons on my blouse. Why? Because there's a communist living in the White House. Shocked or something? Why aren't people up in arms? Does anyone read history? Or I think Obama is a communist. <laughs> And my husband said, don't use that word, say radical or Marxist, but um, 
You know, Karl Marx wrote the book, The Communist Manifesto, so I don't see why people are afraid to say the word communist, because I've done a lot of research. <laughs> I read the book 1984 by George Orwell twice. <laughs> I was walking through the airport and every magazine had Obama's picture on it. Every one. <laughs> and I turned on the TV and every channel had him on it. <laughs> and it's like uh, Castro in Cuba or uh, uh, the guy in China. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've already started sliding into socialism with the government now controlling, uh, the liberals are controlling all of the uh, TV channels. <laughs> okay, well, you get the idea there. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is Andy Kaufman and, and uh, wrestler Jerry Lawler. I'm, I'm telling you, in a couple of years, she's going to be like, ah, it's just kidding. And she's going to be a genius. I hope. For all our sakes. Okay, well, speaking of comedy and tragedy, uh, stand-up comedian Steve Maison uh, several years ago was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he uh, quickly reassessed his life and decided if he was going to fulfill his lifelong dream of being on uh, The David Letterman Show, he was going to have to get his butt in gear, and he did do that, and thankfully Steve is with us. Not only is he still with us, he's with us on PF's tape recorder uh, right now. Here is our interview with Steve Maison. Very inspiring story. Here it is. Okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, Steve Maison. Uh, Steve has a book out called Dying to Be on Letterman. And some of you, uh, if you listen to Jimmy Dore's podcast, you may have heard the story on comedy and everything else. But uh, we're going to have Steve kind of go through it with us here. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad you uh, glad you heard it on Jimmy Dore's podcast. That's one of my favorite as well. So Yes, highly um, recommended. In fact, if people are listening to my podcast and not his, there's something wrong with them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. The great, that's the great thing. There's plenty of time to do both, right? Yes, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Um, so um, walk me through this. I, I mean, I know the story, but maybe some of my listeners uh, sure. don't. You were uh, a stand-up comedian. Yep. I was a uh, full-time stand-up comedian, making a living doing it, not part-time or anything like that. Or right. No wish to do it. was doing it as a career uh, for about, uh, about six years. And in 2005... Uh, that was six years in, um, one, of, one of my big dreams was to be on Letterman. And then uh, in 2005, I got diagnosed with cancer in, uh, in a couple places. Uh, they discovered my liver and traced it back to my intestines. And so I spent that year really kind of dealing with all that and uh, having surgery. And they pulled out a foot of my intestines. And uh, the, the worst thing about it was they said that the cancer that I had in my liver, it was tumors all over my liver. They said there's no treatment or cure for that. And so uh, they said, listen, uh, the worst case scenario, if we don't find a, a cure or treatment, is that uh, you only have five years to live. And I'm yes. not a worst case scenario guy, but yeah. uh, when I came out the other side, I asked myself, okay, uh, if that's true, how do you want to spend that five years? And uh, for me, it was, it was making that dream of getting on Letterman come true. So I started a project called Dying to Do Letterman. And... Uh, as silly as this sounds, I mean, we're, we're here podcasting and all this and the, the way things are now, but 
In 2005, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no YouTube, all the things I'd probably use now if I had this, this project. But what I did at that time was just start a website called Dying to Do Letterman. And uh, I put videos up of my comedy and asked people to, to look at them. And if they thought I was funny enough, they could, they could click a link that would uh, allow them to email Dave. And they could say, hey, I think this guy's funny, book, book Steve. So uh, I gave myself a year to get on. Uh, and that's, that's how the project started, Dying to Do Letterman. It was about making it happen. Uh, I gave myself a year to get on. And um, that was about a year after my diagnosis when it all started. Now, as uh, many comedy nerds know, uh, you know, you have to, you have to have a very talk show friendly set to get on uh, Letterman or the Late Late Show with uh, 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 Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, <laughs> yeah. I drew blank just for a second there, or <laughs> no, Conan yeah. or anybody. And and of course, your your set is uh, it's it's more a, a story sort of focused on one topic for uh, a longer period of time. Yeah, yeah. And, it's uh, you know my story or my act. You know, it's kind of silly, and it uh, you know a lot of it is is longer longer jokes, um, you know, rather than than one quick line, one quick line, one quick line. It's you know it's longer things that take a while to 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 unfold, and you know there's there's humor throughout, but it's it's not the typical thing uh, you see on Letterman. And so when I finally I did get the attention of the people at Letterman, and they you know they wrote back they actually <laughs> they they wrote back a letter saying uh, you will not be on the show they actually sent a rejection letter saying it's impossible in the in the letter it said the word impossible yeah. uh, to put you on so and you know i still you know that was a big uh, big shock but again i picked up the pieces and and said okay you know now you got to prove them wrong so i i eventually got the attention of the the booker as well you know i think i had to prove to them that i was a real comic i wasn't some Right. Cancer patient just wishing for this. Yeah. So when the booker finally saw me, that was one of his his feedback. He said, "Listen, you're funny. There's no doubt. You know, you're clean. Uh, you know, uh, and all that. But there's a type of comedy that we have on the show, and you have these these longer stories. Uh, you have characters in them, um, and it's just not usually what we have on. So if you if you want to be on, you know, you gotta you gotta fix all that." So it was kind of going back to the drawing board and then trying to make that all happen. But but as I recall, you ultimately it was still when you finally got on it was still more your brand of comedy than having to reinvent yourself yeah. and do you so, know. So in, in my very line. first one, I'll, I'll share. You know, comedy never works. Uh, you know, just sharing it one on one. But and for yeah. your listeners, but I'll give you an example. In the first uh, the first DVD that they saw of me, I had a joke uh, that was about car insurance about uh, my insurance. Uh, I saw a company on TV said they could insure me for a fraction of what I've been paying. Unfortunately, that fraction was five-thirds. And so <laughs> the booker, he loved it, and he said, that's a great joke, and he said, that's exactly what Letterman would like. That's what we're looking for. So that was in my first thing, and the rest of it was, you know, kind of longer bits, you know, rather than one one little short thing like that. So I went back to the drawing board tried to replicate that joke as much as possible. And, uh-huh. and come up with more jokes like that. And actually, I spent about <laughs> almost four plus years trying to replicate that joke in different forms and, and coming up with more stuff like that. But what I kept finding is that just my natural joke writing you know, ability and, and my personality was more towards these, these bits that were a little longer. They were on one topic, and they had characters in them. And so eventually... Uh, on one of the DVDs I sent him, I, you know, I wasn't having any luck anymore with these short jokes. I was just like, screw it. And I, uh, I sent this kind of new long bit I had that was about hotel keys, about what a, what a pain in the ass hotel keys are. 
And uh, it was long, it had characters in them, and it was all on one topic. And, you know, uh, he loved it. And for whatever reason, even though he, you know, the booker said before, we don't like any of those things, I think it's just one of those things that people know something when they see it. They can, yeah, they can yeah. tell you over and over what they're looking for, but really they don't know it until they see it. So do you think that when you were trying to do this, the setup punchline, as we call it, jokey joke uh, kind yeah. of things, do you think that was kind of diluting your comedy? And You know, um, I got, I got to say, honestly, I think it was a good exercise. I wrote some great jokes that I still do today that, that are that format. But, yeah, it, it always felt like more work than natural. You know, uh, you know, I put it like to someone who talks about writing music, like writing songs and that kind of thing, where they're, you know, some people wait for inspiration and what comes to them, and others people sit down at a table and try and force themselves to write a, a good song. And it, all those, you know, felt forced. But I did, I did get some good jokes out of that. Like I said, jokes I still use today. Um, but, it, yeah, it never felt as natural as just, like, oh, something come, comes across funny to me, and then, I, and then I'll sit down and write out what I think is funny about it. And those bits, you know, tend to be the longer bits because I, I like to, you know, dive in and, and find the silliness and things. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, definitely much easier than the ones I had to sit down and try and write like a, you know, a kind of a one-liner or a set-up punchline kind of thing. So 2005, you start the campaign, and yeah. where are you at in your career at that point? Are you featuring? Are you headlining? Are you doing a little bit of both? What's yeah, a little bit of both. I'd say most places at that point I was featuring, uh, you know, a couple clubs uh, in the in the Midwest. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so I didn't start there. I, I started in San Francisco. I was still featuring at those clubs. Uh, a couple in the Midwest I was headlining. Um, lots of one-nighters I was headlining all those. You know, I, I had the time. It was just I didn't have any you know, uh, I was six years in so that, you know, there's, there's only so far you can get in that point. And yeah, that was about it. A, a little mix of it, but more featuring than headlining at that point. So when did you finally get on Letterman? I, I can't remember the exact. Yeah. Year. It ended up being uh, September uh, 4th of 2009. So I had given myself a year to get on the show and it ended up taking uh, almost, almost five years. So, uh, but listen, like anything, it's, uh, it's, it's worth the wait. Sure, <laughs> and, uh, sure. It, it did end up being one long bit, and, you know, it was kind of, I had I'd had these jokes that were, you know, uh, even on the initial one I sent him, they were like a minute long or a minute and a half, that kind of thing. But this joke that he ended up liking was literally of about four minutes just by itself, all on one topic. And I was actually nervous, you know, I was excited, of course, that they finally gave me the nod and said, okay, you're going to be on. Um, but I was also very nervous because I had only seen a couple comics do a set that was entirely one topic. And that those two comics are Jake Johansson. I saw yep. do a joke about going Love to the Jake. moon. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian Regan, uh, yes. do a joke about, about, uh, greeting cards. And these are two comics who have, they both been on, I think Johansson's been on over 50 times on Letterman now. Oh yeah. I, Regan's probably you in the, in the movie. I, you know, they made a movie about this, this project on you Letterman. He tells me at that point, I think he's been on 17 times. I think he's now easily in the mid twenties. Um, but it was, so it was, it was pretty, uh, intimidating to be like, okay, those guys have done this a bunch and, and they do one, they'll do one topic every now and then you're going to try on your very first appearance to, to replicate what they do, which is covering just one topic. And of course the, the problem with that is if, uh, if you don't have the audience in the first minute, you have nowhere else to go. Cause yeah, exactly. They're not buying into it. That's yeah. Um, 
I interviewed Rocky Laporte uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, I love Rocky. Yeah, and Rocky uh, got started uh, after he was he was de- uh, delivering furniture in Chicago, and he got held up and he got shot. And uh, oh, yeah. he started looking for a new line of work at that point. And uh, the secretary at the trucking company said, well, maybe you should try doing stand-up. You're a pretty funny guy. And I asked him <laughs> if he was nervous his first time doing an open mic. And he said, strangely, no, because I thought, what's the worst that could possibly happen now? Did, did you kind of have that feeling, though, um, going into, you know, because you probably have a little different yes. mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to say, I was definitely, um, you know, like I said, intimidated about attempting this joke. But when I got there that day and I was at, you know, the Ed Sullivan Theater, uh, waiting to go on. For whatever reason, I had a strange calmness. And, you know, part of it was the minute I put up that website, Dying Dude Letterman, people, besides reaching out on my behalf and saying, hey, you should book this guy, a lot of people started emailing me and saying, hey, this, this story about you, you know, getting diagnosed and and now chasing your dream is really inspiring. And, and you've inspired me to pick up a dream that I've been saying someday, too. And uh, that I had put aside. And so all these people, and they stayed in touch over these, you know, these four years. And the more people heard about the project, the more people I heard, heard from that said, you know, uh, you know, I had inspired them. So I kind of felt like I had all these people with me and whatever happened on the, on the stage that day, wasn't even going to matter because, you know, just like anything, it's as much about the journey. It is the destination. And I, I felt like all these people were with me kind of not like, not like they were on my shoulders and I had to wait, like I had to, you know, I had to knock it out of the park that day, but like, almost like I was being carried, like I had won already just by getting there. So I felt a strange calmness and yeah, it's weird because I get nervous when I'm performing at a coffee shop or, you know, an (laughs) open mic at a bar, but whatever reason that day I wasn't, it felt great. So, and you've done other TV appearances since, of course, if people just go to the YouTube, they can, uh, yeah, people can go to YouTube and they can they can view that uh, the Letterman set as well if they Google Steve Mazon and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nice you know the uh, there's been people who uh, have told me stories they're like oh my God I was in a hotel the other day and you know the joke uh, I'm in a hotel right now as so we're doing this oh there you go this interview but um, someone told me the other day they were at a hotel lobby. And uh, the guy came back down and was like, hey, my key's not working. He's like, it's like that guy set on Letterman. And he huh. he didn't know my name, but he knew the joke. Huh. And so th- that was a, that was kind of nice. It's nice that this, this bit that finally got me on Letterman was this uh, this thing that, that people, you know, everyone can relate to. It's all about that, about the, you know, the key's not working and, and what you have to do when your, your key's not working, where you go. So, yeah, people can check it out online, and, yeah, people see cool. I think everyone can relate to the, to the joke. All right, well, we'll link to all that from uh, the, from the uh, website here uh, on, on Podbean. And cool. uh, let me see, so how's the health now? Yeah, the health's good. I actually met with my oncologist uh, last week, and we had some lab work done, and all the, the blood work and everything came back great. I have to do oh, some good. scans later this, this month, but uh, usually the... The blood work is an indicator of how you know fast or slow the the tumors are growing. And listen, mm-hmm. you know the obviously the happy end of the story that uh, I got on Letterman, but also that I proved the you know the doctors wrong thus far. Yeah, totally. You know, it's six years later, and I, uh, so I've outlived that worst case scenario, and that feels awesome. Good. Terrific. Well, uh, thanks a lot, sir, and continued success to you. Yeah, thanks so and much. And yeah, thanks for reaching out, and uh, I appreciate it. You know, um, you said you directed people to uh, a website as well. Yeah, we um, this uh, podcast is hosted on a uh, website called Podbean, and some people download oh, this from okay, iTunes, cool. and the re- it's on Podbean, and uh, Podbean is where I will post uh, like all the links to your website and to the YouTube oh. videos and whatever else we end up discussing on the podcast today. Cool. You know, I didn't, I forgot to mention we talked about the documentary. We yeah. just, uh, you know, the the documentary is coming out. That's what I'm I'm here in uh, 
Naples for a film festival right now. Oh, with cool. It. Uh, but we had a book come out as well just last week. Yeah. Uh, people who do the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, released it. So if you don't mind in the intro or the outro uh, to the podcast, just mentioning that, you know, people can do that. And if they go to dianedudeletterman.com, they can find both. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot, sir. Thank you, Patrick. All I right, appreciate Steve. it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Jim Rowe, Mid-Los Angeles. News in the Scarlett Johansson photo scandal. Apparently those pictures were meant for actor Ryan Reynolds. I think I'm in the wrong part of show business, clones. And of course, you clones do find it hilarious. Dear Rome, my pictures were also meant for Ryan Reynolds, and Wilmer Vandermeer, and Jake Eilenthal, and the bailiff at the L.A. County Courthouse. Pretty much everyone. Signed, Lindsay Lohan. Look, clones, stop jamming my email with your Pamela Anderson resets and your Kim Kardashian emails. They are not funny and I will not read them. They're just lame. Like this one. Dear Van Slap, what's the big deal? Nude photos are a great way to revive your career. Signed, Tiffany. That's not funny. Look, clones, Scarlett Johansson is still one of the most sought-after actresses in Hollywood. She doesn't have to revive anything. So lay off with your Blake Lively emails or whatever the hell that is and your Paris Hilton emails. They are not funny and I will not read them. Here's another one. Dear Rome, I find the fluorescent lighting of a bathroom produces the best nude phone cell pics. Signed, Vanessa Hudgens. Not funny, clones. And I can respect Vanessa Hudgens. I mean, I get that people say she's a bad role model. I get that people say that she should have had all of her contracts with Disney terminated at that point. I get that. I just don't buy it. Here's why. She apologized after that story broke, clones. She apologized for any embarrassment those photos caused. She didn't apologize for being in the photos, clones. And you'll remember at the time, word was those pics were meant for Nickelodeon star Drake Bell. Yeah, me neither. But Bell denied ever having received them. If I'm this Bell cat, I fire my assistant on the spot. Bro, why aren't I getting my unsolicited nude pics? Jay Stu knows if I ever get nude pics, they are to be brought to my attention immediately. Okay, after the break, your phone calls. But only if you sound exactly like me. Otherwise, you will not be racked. Out. Okay, that's the big show. That's episode 17. Thanks again to comedian Steve Maison for uh, sharing his experiences with us in his quest to be on the David Letterman program. i uh, got a couple of dates here for you. Uh, Greg Martini, friend of the podcast, who was a former member of the group Birdhouse, who we've played on the uh, show before, he is in a new band called Gee, Your Band Smells Terrific, which I'm still not quite clear on. is, is either a 70s cover band or a 70s original music band. Anyway, they're at the Hollywood Resort and Casino in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, November 12th. That's a Saturday night. They'll be playing at Hollywood on the Roof there in the main casino. So do check them out. I do believe another former member of Birdhouse, uh, Tom DeColvey, is also in that band as well, but that may or may not be accurate. Um, I will be at Mugby's on Beachmont Avenue in Cincinnati on Tuesday, November 8th, doing PF Trivia Live. That's our working title for it so far. So uh, stop by. There were several hints, by the way, in the podcast uh, for some of the answers to the trivia. And if you made it through the whole podcast, I'm going to give you an answer right now. The movie that Zucker, Zucker, and Abrams uh, wrote, directed, and produced before Airplane was called The Kentucky Fried Movie. There you go. All right. uh, Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, or follow me on Twitter, at PF66. Uh, the logo is designed by Dan Cobell. 
Follow him at TigerDactyl uh, on Twitter. And let me see, the PF Tape Recorder theme music was written by John Veropoulos with a little help from me, performed by John Veropoulos, Doug O'Connor, with a tiny bit of help from me. Uh, I think that's all I've got here. So uh, once again, thank you so much for listening, and uh, see you next time. Well, what if I bump into one of them and one of their their drug needles stabs me from their pocket?